it's uh, it's not all about fireworks, is it? <laughs> I read this account this past week, and I wanted to share it with you. A, a pastor was sitting at his desk with his head in his hands. Another three letters had just arrived, complaining about how he had changed the style of music to contemporary. Some of you know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, the director of finance had just left his office telling of the drop-off in giving. If things didn't pick up, ministries in the church would have to be cut. The police were investigating some serious allegations against one of his children's workers. His closest colleague on staff had just had major surgery and would be out for at least two months. And now, a phone call had just informed him that one of his own children was in trouble at school and he must come to the school at once. As he paused, with his head spinning with all the bad news, there came to his mind the verse he had contemplated during his morning quiet time, that one sanctuary of rest for him throughout the day. This was the verse. In his name, the nations will put their hope. From somewhere, and it seemed a long way away, he could see in his mind's eye an African village where a young missionary was explaining to an eager group just what it meant to follow Jesus' costly kingdom rather than to jump on the bandwagon of the popular revolutionary movement. He could see behind them the hospital they had built and the wells that they had dug. Then he saw a huge congregation in Latin America celebrating God's love in the midst of poverty and despair. He saw dwindling churches in the Middle East surrounded by hostile governments and fanatical religious pressure groups. He saw the faces of a young Pakistani couple bringing their first child for baptism in a village miles outside of Karachi. But I, what I'd like to ask you to do, now some of these people you have met, you know, you've talked to, you've you've hugged and uh, shaken hands with and, you know, uh, some of them you don't. But these are just a few of the ones that are around the world. We sit here in the most wonderful country in the world and we don't, we take our freedom for granted, I think, so much. And here are folks that daily put their life on the line for their faith. And I want to ask if we could take five minutes, whatever it takes, to pour our hearts out to, the God, to God for all the indigenous missionaries throughout the world. Maybe you know of others. I'm sure you probably do. Let's pray for those people silently. If you want to come up to the front, you're welcome. If you want to stay there, if you want to look at a scripture, that's fine. If, if this is your first time in a church and you don't know what in the world is this guy talking about, then 
just sit there quietly and think about the people in other countries who don't have the freedoms that we have. Take some time right now before the Lord. Father God, I ask you today to send your Holy Spirit to each one of us here, yes, to empower us to do the things that you've called us to do. But God, I, today I particularly pray for you to empower the indigenous Christians around this planet who suffer and struggle in ways that we cannot even fathom. Now I'm reminded, Lord, of the times that I prayed for Sundar and Sarita to have protection from the fanatics that were there. And they told me, no, don't pray for protection. Pray for boldness so that we will stand strong in the face of persecution. As a result, the church flourishes in those places. They don't take freedom for granted. God, help us this day and in the days to come to remember these that we've talked about this morning and the others whose faces we don't know, who, whose names we don't know, whose countries of origin we don't even know that have to struggle day by day for the gospel to be carried to all the people in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's telling that, first of all, we are a mission church here. We are, we're called to mission in Little River to this community, but we're called to mission to the world too. And I am very honored to say that Renovation Church last year gave 35% of its budget, of its, not budget, but of its income to missions to outreach, to sharing the gospel with people. Um, and God's blessed us for that. And, and I pray that we will continue to be able to do that in all the years ahead, if, if, if possible, to even increase that amount. But you notice that these folks, whose emails I read, didn't ask about money. Money wasn't a concern. They wanted prayer. Some of you may not be able to give, but by golly, you can pray. So let's redouble our efforts to pray for indigenous peoples today and in the days to come. These stories, all of them that we've looked at, are telling the story, the big story. The story of one man, of one hope, of one world. Somehow all of the letters and all of the phone calls and all of the emails and all the worrying reports are part of that story as well. Somehow they all belong together. And the pastor in that story that I told you at the beginning, along with the Egyptian pastor and Sundar and Sarita from Nepal and, and all the other indigenous folks, and even perhaps you here today, may feel something of what Matthew was trying to tell us in the passage that we're reading today. It's from Matthew chapter 12. Verses 15 through 21. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, we have some up here. You're welcome to <clears throat> use one of these. Or if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of these. 
The scripture will also be on the screen, I think. <laughs> uh, in this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. It's the only rule we have for faith and life. So listen to God's word, Matthew 12, beginning at verse 15. <clears throat> Aware of this, and the this from last week, if you remember, is the fact that the Pharisees are now plotting to kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick. Not just some of them, he healed all of their sick, it says. Warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And here comes the main thrust of our lesson today. Verse 18. This is from Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So here's Jesus, surrounded by all the pressures on every side. His own followers don't really understand what's happening, who he is or where he's going. People are badgering him from every direction to heal them, to cast out demons, to be there for them in their time of need. And at the same time, opposition to him is growing, as we saw last week. Herod isn't far away. And the religious pressure groups are, are stirring up trouble all around him, everywhere he goes. The Pharisees, particularly. And as we're soon going to see in a couple of weeks, some are even saying that he's in league with the devil. That's the only way he could do these things. He's, he's in league with the devil. He knows where it's all leading, and yet he chooses to still go on. And he goes on because he has the story in mind, the story of the servant, Isaiah's story, the most famous story about the most famous prophet. As I read this, some words may have been a little familiar to you. Let's see if we've heard those before. If you turn back a few pages to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. I think I've told you before to do a study sometime and go through every book in the Bible and look at 3.16 in that book. It's amazing how many of those are pivotal verses. Matthew 3.16 says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment... Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And Isaiah, writing thousand years before, said, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. Could it be the same one? 
The one that John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the story of the chosen servant of God. And Matthew is paraphrasing here. It's not word for word what Isaiah had said in uh, chapter 42. The servant of God is a strange figure throughout Isaiah. And it would be a good read for us to, to take the book of Isaiah and read through it. Just read through it. The one who will bring God's blessings and justice to the world is that servant of God. The task that was earlier in Isaiah given to the Messiah or the coming king of Israel. And how is the servant to accomplish his tasks that he's been called to do? Not by bullying and harrying Israel and the other nations. Not by threatening or quarreling with people, but rather with a quiet and gentle work of healing and blessing and taking love and the grace of God to the dark places of Israel and the dark places of the world. As Matthew looks back over his ministry when he's writing this, he, uh, the ministry thus far that Jesus has done. This is the point in Matthew where he begins to realize that Jesus is that servant king. If, you, if you're reading through Matthew, this looks a little bit out of place. This looks like it was just stuck in there. Well, it wasn't just stuck in. Matthew's saying to us, hey, this is, this is where the penny dropped for me. I started seeing who he was right here. He's beginning to put the pieces together from the style of work that Jesus is already doing in and around Galilee. See, Jesus was going about bringing restoration and renovation wherever it was needed. Didn't matter where. You know, he went everywhere, it seemed. But not by making a fuss, but by gently leading the people of God to God's healing love. Isaiah 42 is the first of four prophecies about this servant of the Lord that you would read if you, if you read through the entire book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah 52 through 53. And in our interaction with, with Jewish believers, we find that it's the book of Isaiah, not the Gospels, the book of Isaiah that has caused them to come to belief. You can see who Jesus is, who Messiah is, uh, through um, Isaiah's writings that were written as prophecy so much before Jesus even got here. Next week, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this Isaiah 42 passage. But for right now, I want to, I want to share with you four quick predictions from this passage. First of all, Messiah will bring justice to the earth. You remember when we talked about John the Baptist and his, his disciples and how Jesus was not fulfilling their expectations? They expected a, an earthly king, somebody that would come in and drive out the Romans from Israel and revive Israel to a Jewish state like they thought it should be. And he wasn't doing that. So they were a little disappointed in him. Even after the resurrection, it seems that the disciples of Jesus themselves didn't really understand what was taking place. The second prediction would be this. Messiah will not cry out, but instead will go about his work quietly and humbly. 
Jesus going about his work. What is his work? We've talked about it before. What's his purpose? What's, uh, what's the meaning of his life? And Matthew 4.23, that verse that I, I, we've, we've probably read in here 50 times already, says this, Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He was here for proclamation and demonstration. He was here to proclaim and to demonstrate the same tenets that, that this church was founded on, to proclaim God's word and to demonstrate his word through deeds. Sometimes it's through signs and wonders. Sometimes it's through sharing love with folks. Sometimes it's for praying for missionaries in other countries. Proclamation and demonstration. The third um, prediction that I see in this passage is this. Messiah will not trample on the weak or those who are poor in spirit. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. I thought about this and we, we, we have some flowers in, in the backyard, those things that are at Christmas time, the, what are they called? What? Different ones. They grow real tall and they have a big one bl blossom. Amaryllis. My whole mind's gone today with this uh, change up. The amaryllis, and they grow in the backyard and one time we had a wind that came through and it broke the stem did break, but it bent the stem of the amaryllis. Well, I knew that if I pulled it the rest of the way off, the bloom would die. So I tried putting a splint, a splint on it with some tape to hold it up. And lo and behold, it lasted for, you know, a week or so that way. Rather than breaking the reed that's already bent, you restore it. And it says, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Have you seen a candle or a lantern? I, I'm, I'm, not that I'm this old, mind you, but we used to have kerosene lamps at home that we would use if the power went off. We would get the kerosene lamps out and light them. <clears throat> and before the kerosene would run out, the wick would burn down. And if the wick burned down so low, it starts to smoke. And if you weren't careful and add a little more wick to it, it would go completely out. It would snuff out. If you turned the little dial the wrong way when you got ready to uh, add some wick to it, it would go out as well. So he was not about snuffing out a smoldering wick or breaking a bruised reed. The fourth prediction is this. Messiah will bring salvation to the nations. Here's this verse again. In his name, the nations will put their hope. From where does the hope come? Where does the hope come from? It's not a tough question. His name. In his name, nations will put their hope. What name are we talking about? Well, there's no better place to find out what name we're talking about than Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2. 
verses 5 through 11. says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, in other words, Jesus is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He was the king of heaven, gave it all up, made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. There's that word again. The chosen servant of God. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Quietly and humbly he went about his work and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus not Christ not Buddha not Confucius not, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven all the angels are on their knees on earth that would be us, and even under the earth, all the demons will bow to him. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the name. That's the name that the nations have hope in. That's the hope that they have. And the nations, that's us, along with Israel. And we nations are hell-bent on violence and arrogance, aren't we? Those who want peace and those who want to work for peace are always in the end shouted down by those who want more money, more land, more security, more status, and are willing to kill for it. Those who are great and mighty in the world's terms Make sure that their voices are heard in the streets, not the servant. Those who shout the loudest get obeyed the quickest, the soonest. But that's not the way with this servant king. Those who want to get ahead in this world tend to push others out of the way. If they see a weak link, a reed that's bent and could be broken a candle that's almost gone out, they'll trample on it without a thought. But that's not the way of this servant king. The nations, they're used to arrogance. And here the servant king is the very opposite. And if we, the nations, can hope in him, then we can find rest in him. That's how all this applies to the series that we're in. We can find rest in Him. And we are all here today with all of our problems. And we're a part of the story as well. The same story. As we rest in Him, we realize that, you know, our problems may still be here. And 
They may not be easy to deal with. They may be tough problems to deal with. But we are a part of the story. The story of the servant king. And the servant king will be with us. The nations. Bringing hope. His gentle and healing touch. Wherever it's needed. In all the dark places. So here's the big idea for today. And it's about the simplest big idea we've ever had. Jesus is that servant king. Jesus is that servant king. But I have to ask you. Is he your king? Is he your king? Is he your king? He's my king. There was a pastor who actually lived in the last century. He died in 2000. He was the pastor of an inner city church, Calvary Baptist Church, in San Diego, California. And he's well known for the things that he said about his king. Do you know him? He's the king that invited us to this table. One night, Passover night, 2,000 years ago roughly. He was having dinner with his friends and at the close of dinner he took a loaf of bread, just a common, ordinary loaf they could buy at any bakery. And he broke that loaf of bread and said, this is my body that's broken for you. For each of you. And in the cup, he poured the wine saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. All of your sins. This is the same meal that he shared with his disciples that he calls on us to share today. The same meal that is being shared by the Christians in Egypt. The same meal being shared by the Christian believers in Nepal. The same meal being shared by the churches in Latin America and Africa and every other place you can think of. The same meal, the same invitation for all of us who are believers to come to his table. Do you know him? If you do, he wants you to come eat with him. He says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this wine, we remember his death until he comes. As you come, we will have, we already have, thank you, we already have ministry team on either side that would love to pray with you. You may drop your registrations, your connect cards, any gifts that you have in the baskets here on the, on the way to communion.
take a few minutes to think, is he really your king? Do you really believe the things that you've heard today about this servant king, the chosen one of God? Come to his table.